It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hi, Cardinal fans. I'm Ozzie Smith. Smith corks one into right down the line. It may go. And you're listening to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Here's your host, Brett McMillan. Welcome into the August 14th edition of the program, the ball club heating up. It is an exciting time here in St. Louis as we are into the stretch run towards September. Things could get really interesting in the NL Central and the NL Wildcard if the Cardinals continue to play like they have here. Uh, just recently coming off a great road trip as I speak, swept Kansas City and now uh, home for a little bit before heading back out on the road. Glad to have you with us. My name is Brett McMillan. As good as the uh, the current team has been playing, we're not going to spend too much time on the 2018 Cardinals today. Instead, we've got two different topics, but things I think you're going to find very interesting as a Cardinal fan, and uh, especially if you are a St. Louisan. I think that you will really enjoy what it is that we have to offer today. The first thing, which you'll hear in just a couple of moments, is Ozzie Smith, who is the president of the Gateway Chapter of the PGA Reach Foundation and, of course, a National Baseball and St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Famer as well and the host of our Cardinals Insider TV show. Ozzie was awarded the honorary or the first ever host city champion by the PGA as the PGA Championship just wrapped up here in St. Louis uh, this past weekend. If you are listening as this drops on the 14th of August, Ozzy is a big golf fan. He was instrumental, from what I understand, in uh, kind of helping the PGA to, to get this event to St. Louis. And the PGA Reach Foundation launched, again, my understanding, launched here in St. Louis, and it is designed to help children in the inner city and introduce them to the game of golf, to teach life skills, help keep them in school, and hopefully create a, more opportunity for them in the future and all of that using golf as a catalyst. Ozzy is really passionate about it. In just a moment, you're going to hear him talk more about it. Then in the back half of the podcast, it's Brad Lefton. He's a St. Louis native, fluent in Japanese. He has worked in media in both America and Japan, covering the biggest Japanese baseball players ever to really come through the majors, most notably Ichiro Suzuki. He's close with Ichiro. He's close with Sotoguchi who is a famous Cardinal that uh, a lot of you probably are big fans of. So Brad has interesting perspectives on both those guys' careers, and he's got a great story. Maybe my favorite story from the conversation is just detailing Ichiro's respect for George Sisler, who never played for the Cardinals but was an all-time great player. I always say probably the greatest player you've never heard of. He set the all-time single-season hits record, most hits in a season, as a St. Louis Brown way back in the day. And then in 2004, I want to say maybe 80 years or so after, Ichiro broke it, and he paid respect to George Sisler's legacy in a couple of different ways. Brad will talk about that. It is a neat chapter from both baseball and St. Louis history. 
you will want to hear it straight ahead. But before we get to all that, I want to remind you that Game of Thrones night coming to Bush Stadium on Wednesday, August 29th. It was super popular last year, and it is back. Fans purchasing special theme tickets will receive a bobblehead of Ozzy Smith sitting on that Iron Throne. Winter is coming. Get your tickets now at cardinals.com slash theme. So here it is, our first conversation. It's Ozzy Smith and myself at Bell Reeve Country Club. We caught up with him during a practice round before the PGA Championship. Brooks Kepka eventually winning that event here in St. Louis. Great crowds all weekend. Uh, a, a nice, nice event for this region. Something that I think we needed and something that really displayed to the country and the world the quality of the sports fans here in this town and, of course, at the Cardinals. We don't have any doubts or questions about that, but it was nice for the rest of the country to be reminded of it on that kind of stage, too. And again, uh, Ozzy awarded as the host city champion. The first time ever the PGA has done this. They did it for him and his role with the PGA Reach Foundation, helping children in inner cities and, in our case, here in St. Louis, to gain some life skills and opportunities that they wouldn't have otherwise and introducing them and cultivating those through the game of golf. It is great work. It has been really impactful and it's been successful to this point, and I think that the PGA sees the potential in launching that out into other markets as well. So here it is, Ozzy Smith on golf, life in St. Louis, and being an ambassador for both the Cardinals and the city at the uh, PGA Championship at Belle Reve Country Club. You're listening to it right now on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Well, why is it exciting for St. Louis to have this event this week? Well, you know, um, besides the uh, financial windfall that you get from something like this, I think it creates an excitement. Um, and it shows that this is much more than just a baseball town. I think, you know, when people think of St. Louis, they think of strictly baseball. But uh, this is a, a great sports town, and I think that this week is going to prove just, just what a sports town it is. Why has golf been important to you in your life, uh, maybe while you were playing the game and then certainly afterwards as well? You know, I, I never played when I was playing, and I didn't get introduced to the game until I, after I retired. And so when I became a president of the Gateway Chapter of the PG, PGA here, um, I thought it would be a great way to expose kids in the inner city to the game of golf. And not only the game of golf, but the business of golf as well. And uh, f for most of those kids in the inner city, they only know baseball, basketball, or football as a way out. And uh, golf is a, is a perfect way out. And, you know, we felt that uh, using golf as a hook was, in, was, was the thing to get the kids involved because it's very time-consuming. But it's really about education and keeping kids in school. And we feel that the longer we keep them in school, the, um, um, hopefully the better citizens we're able to produce. The program's been very successful. Uh, tell me about the award that, that you're receiving today, kind of in association with that. Well, you know what? I don't know about the award. I get a lot of credit for, for helping bring this here, but it was it was teamwork. Uh, uh, Brett, it's, it's been uh, the membership here at Bell Reeve has, has been wonderful. Um, uh, Ed Glotzbach, the president, uh, Mike DeCola, uh, PGA Reach. Uh, it's just, it's been, a, it's been teamwork. And, and when we started talking about this like eight years ago, um, we had no idea that it will culminate to, 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 to what is transpiring here this week. But it's exciting. I think people have really, really responded to it these first two days. They say have been, been record setting and uh, hopefully will continue through the weekend. What's your role, Ben? What have you been up to here as the tournament's going on? Just kind of a, just kind of an ambassador, both as a baseball ambassador and a golf ambassador and a citizen of St. Louis. And uh, I've always wanted to be proud of the place in which I live. and. It, to be proud of it, I think I got to be involved with it, and uh, this was my involvement. 
you hope the world sees this week as they look at St. Louis during this event? What a great place this is to live and, and uh, we can create a guideline by which other cities who vie for championships can have something that they can, they can draw from and uh, make their community, I think all communities across the country are looking for the same thing, you know, looking for safety, they're looking for a place that you can raise a family and uh, have a great time and uh, St. Louis will show that this week. Of course, Ozzy was a part of some great teams in the 1980s, including the 1982 World Champion Cardinals on Friday, August 31st. 30,000 fans, 21 and older, going to receive the eighth beer stein in the championship series, courtesy of Budweiser. This stein highlights the Cardinals and those World Series champs over the Milwaukee Brewers in 1982. Get your tickets at cardinals.com slash promotions. I don't know for sure, but I want to go ahead and imagine and say that uh, Brad Lefton was probably a young man when the Cardinals captured that crown in 1982. He has gone on to a long career in media covering baseball, both in Japanese and in English, for papers on both sides of the world, in Japan and here in America as well. I mentioned at the top, so Taguchi, he's still very close with him. You'll hear a fun story about how he was So's translator at the first winter warm-up. You're going to get kind of a little bit of a, a interesting and nicely wrapped comprehensive history of George Sisler's single-season hit record, which Ichiro broke, and the great lengths that Ichiro went to to honor the late George Sisler. And you'll also just get other great stories from Brad's life, a St. Louisan growing up here, a graduate of Washington University in St. Louis, who really has been all over the globe covering this game in several different languages. Brad and I got the chance to talk this past January at the winter warm-up. He made a special trip down just for me. I appreciate greatly getting to meet him and chat with him. And by the way, he also did some translating for the special exhibit, the rotating exhibit at the Cardinals Museum over in Ballpark Village. This year it is uh, entitled Goodwill Through Baseball, Cardinals Across the Pacific, and it focuses on mostly the, the Cardinals' two trips to Japan as a franchise in 58 and 68. They went and did goodwill tours and played games over there. But there's also just other baseball things maybe that aren't even Cardinal-related as far as uh, Japan and its history with the game and then the way that uh, both countries, Japan and America, have impacted each other in the way that the game is played in each nation. It is well worth your time, and I believe it is there through uh, the end of September, perhaps. It's through the end of the season for sure, and then in the fall, it will eventually start to rotate to whatever is next for next summer. Anyway, Brad did a lot of work with that. I think you would enjoy it, and if you enjoy this conversation, maybe head on over there next time you're down at the ballgame. But for right now, Brad Lefton with myself, on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Let's start with you, born and raised in St. Louis, but yet you have this fascination with Japanese culture. Where did that first come from? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> um, I never studied Japanese in, in college. I never t was interested in Asian history. I didn't know anything about, uh, about Asia, Japan, and, until I graduated or through college, but I had a friend that I grew up with in St. Louis who was teaching English in Japan, and he would always say, come on over and visit, it's really great, and I would say, like, Japan, like, who, who goes to Japan? Like, everybody goes to Europe. If I'm going to have an international experience, that's where I'll go. Why, why Japan? But I eventually did go visit him, and I liked the culture, and you gravitate towards your interests, so I 
was also a baseball fan and I had worked in the media through college so I figured out a way to get myself into ballparks in Japan to interview the Americans were playing baseball in Japan and I would send those back to KMOX radio because I had interned for a long, long time through college at KMOX and they would use these interviews and one thing led to another and I just found myself more in, entrenched in, in, in baseball in Japan uh, and then I was fortunate that, that, I mean the timing was really right because this was before uh, Hideo Nomo came over in 1995 so by the time Nomo made this historic move to be what, what you know, he's the second Japanese player, but, but there was a 30-year gap. So for all intents and purposes, for what we see today, he was the first, the trend that we see today. He, he began that trend, and I was living in Japan at the time, and so I got to cover that uh, Nomo coming over from the Japanese side, and, there, and then when I came back here to the States, so many Japanese players started coming over and Japanese media needed, they didn't have an infrastructure uh, to cover all of these players that were coming over and so I was a, a natural choice for them because I had covered baseball for them in Japan for, uh, for many years before I moved back. So it was really, the timing really worked out great for me. <laughs> How did you first learn the language? Because you go over and visit, I mean, to be, to be able to go into a clubhouse, you've got to be pretty proficient. Well, first of all, you don't go into clubhouses in Japan. <laughs> so clubhouses are closed to the media. The media never, ever steps foot in a manager's office or a clubhouse in, <laughs> in Japan. You do all of your talking to players on the field or you, you walk with them when they come out of the clubhouse down the tunnel and into the parking lot and they walk, you know, you walk and talk and that's how you, you do your stories in Japan. So, um, how did I learn the language? I feel like I'm still learning. I think that if you're not born into this language, it's so difficult that uh, it's a a lifelong <laughs> a lifelong mission to even develop a comfort in it. And maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm the dumbest person in the world because maybe I was. I, I think I feel like I was so naive that I thought. I kept thinking when I was living there, oh, if I extended another year my stay over here, I'll learn the language and then I'll go back to the States and I'll use the language for, uh, for, for some career. Well, it's like the most naive thought I think I've ever had in my life that you could learn Japanese in a year or two years or, or ten years. It's so difficult, um, but, but that was what motivated me, you know, at, at, at the time and I was, and I tried and I developed I would say, I don't say I'm fluent, <laughs> I don't use the F word, <laughs> I say I'm conversant, I'm comfortable in it, but, but I'm, I still learn new words every day and new ways to say things every day, it's, it's, it's a very difficult language. <laughs> you hosted a TV show over there for a little bit, right? How did that, I mean, how, Brad, how does that happen where you all of a sudden end up on television in a foreign country? Well, I did not host a show. <laughs> I appeared on a show. Uh, I, <laughs> I had, uh, yes, uh, a, a weekly segment on a, a show, a nightly show of international sports news. And so my job was to give a foreigner's perspective on some kind of international issue in Japanese sports. So I would go out and interview the uh, 
foreign players, baseball players playing in Japanese baseball, or I do a feature on um, Canadians who are playing in the hockey league in Japan. There's a, a small professional hockey league of six teams. And this was also right before the Nagano Olympics. So Japan, because they would automatically qualify for hockey in their, as their, the host country, they obviously didn't have, they couldn't assemble a team that was good enough to compete internationally, so they, they scoured the, the planet for players of Japanese heritage that they then invited over five years before the Olympics and to play in their league and develop you know, skills and a comfort in Japan so they could then gain citizenship and represent Japan in the Olympics. So I did a lot of stories on, on these guys. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I did stories on, well, <laughs> I did a story on the, the first and probably to this day, I'm sure, is still the only sumo wrestler from the continental U.S. is a native St. Louisan. <laughs> Henry Miller, who went to McClure, <laughs> McClure North, uh, McClure, McClure North High School and became a sumo wrestler. His mother is Japanese and his father is African American and through family connections, he, he played football, uh, high school football here and had a chance at a scholarship, college scholarship and blew out his knee his senior year and was looking for something you know, to do athletically and a family connection led him to Japan and he became the first a sumo wrestler from the continental U.S. and his fighting name, they all have fighting names, his fighting name was Sentoryu, which is as close as you can come using three Japanese characters to St. Louis. Sentoryu, <laughs> that was his name. <laughs> so did a story, uh, several stories on Sentoryu and uh, other stories of you know, international appeal to the domestic Japanese audience. Now you do writing for newspapers both here in the States and then also over there, correct, covering uh, Japanese players who are, are playing in the big leagues. How did you get started doing that? Well, so that was uh, an, an extension of, because I had had this background in Japan and, and because of the timing of it, which I was still over there working in sports media, domestic sports media in Japan when Hideo Nomo became essentially the first Japanese player. He's not the first, he's the second, but the first in 30 years and the guy who started the trend that we recognize today that, that has brought Ichiro and So Taguchi and this year uh, Shohei Otani. Nomo's the guy who started that trend and I was still working in Japan, in Japan in sports media when he came over. Then when I moved back to the States in 1996, was the year after Nomo came and he had had so much success in that first year that every year after other players wanted to to try their hand at uh, American baseball and so we had one two three players coming over every year and Japanese media didn't have the infrastructure in the states to cover these guys and so the, the TV network that I had worked for 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 five years prior in Japan said, hey, could you help us with our coverage? And I began, uh, I think my, my first assignment was Hideki Irabu when he signed with the Yankees in 1997. 
uh, yeah, that's when uh, that was my first assignment. And then I, I covered Irabu. The next year I covered Masato Yoshi, who uh, came over to play for the Mets. And every year it was somebody else. In 2001 it was Ichiro with the Mariners. And in 2002 it was So Taguchi with the Cardinals. <laughs> What, uh, what was that like when So was coming here to St. Louis? I'm sure as a native St. Louisan, you had to have been really excited that your hometown team was going to have a Japanese player. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Not only was I excited that my hometown team was going to have a Japanese player, but that they were going to have that player because I had met So in 2000 when I was covering the um, MLB All-Star Tour in Japan, and So was a member of the Japanese team, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, one of the players on the American team, Mike Sweeney, the first baseman for the Royals, uh, said to me, hey, I would love to get together with some of the Japanese players uh, for dinner after a game. Is there any way you could arrange that? There's a couple of us, a couple of, of us American guys want to uh, interact, you know, go out for a meal with our, our our Japanese uh, opponents, could you set it up? I, had a, I didn't know so at the time, but I had a, ha having covered baseball in Japan for all those years, I knew a couple of other players. And so I went to one of the players that I knew and I told him and he said he'd love to do it and he was gonna gather up uh, five of his teammates because there were five American guys. And so was, happened to be one of the five guys that, uh, that this guy brought uh, to the dinner and I was the interpreter for, <laughs> for this dinner between Mike Sweeney and his teammates and the Japanese player who was uh, from Lotte and he brought So. And uh, so we met that night and So told me, not that night, but the next day at the Tokyo Dome that, that his dream was to someday come over and, and play Major League Baseball in the States but I could have never imagined that he would have fulfilled that dream right here in St. Louis. So I was very excited when I found out the Cardinals had signed him. He's still a fan favorite, and I think one of the reasons is that number he wore, which is just kind of unique. In this town, Blues fans know that it's not the first time someone's worn 99, but definitely an interesting choice for a baseball player. Got to be a story there, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I, one, of the, uh, one of the fortunate things about the relationship with, with So was when he, they brought him to St. Louis for the winter warm-up weekend, and they, they, they had his signing and his press conference and then uh, connected to the winter warm-up and then he was able to attend the writer's dinner so you know that was the weekend to bring him in I got to be his interpreter because they didn't have anybody to interpret for him so I was in the meeting with so and the Cardinals when they asked him what number would he prefer uh, for his career in St. Louis and he said well if, if I get to choose my number naturally I'm going to choose the number that uh, I've worn in Japan all these years. I'd like to be six. And then the Cardinals were like, hmm, that's going to be a little difficult. Six is, um, we'd love for you to be six, but <laughs> uh, we'll have to tell you a little bit about Cardinal history, that six uh, is a long retired number, and it belongs to the greatest Cardinal of them all, Stan Musial. So uh, maybe there's another number that appeals to you. And he said, well, I guess, yeah, if I can't be six, maybe I could be the number that I wore 
in the 2000 Sydney Olympics, which was one. And they said, mm, we're really sorry, but one <laughs> is another one of our retired numbers that belongs to <laughs> Ozzie Smith. Anything else? And he said, well, I guess I could just turn six upside down and I would be content with nine. And then they had another look of consternation on their face and said, well, we, we really hate to tell you this, but nine belongs to the, <laughs> is another retired number belonging to Enos Slaughter, who, by the way, so got to meet that night. He was at the writer's dinner, actually, and so got to meet him. But so then was a little troubled. Now <laughs> he struck out three times and he said, well, I guess... I would just take my original six that I wore for all those years in Japan and I would have two of them and I'll be 66. And they said, that's Rick Ankiel's number. <laughs> and now he's got to come up for, with a fifth choice. And he said, you cannot tell me if I turn 66 upside down that 99 is retired or has it revered or has any significance, right? And they said, 99 is yours, and that's how so Taguchi became 99. His fifth, that was his fifth choice. <laughs> that was uh, just the first year in, in a long relationship for him in St. Louis. You know, he's still involved in baseball over in Japan. What's, uh, what are his memories like of, of St. Louis and of the Cardinals? Oh, well, he's, he's <clears throat> is going into his third season as the... Um, manager of the top farm team of the Oryx Buffaloes, which is the team that he, that he, the only team that he played for in Japan, so he's their uh, minor league manager. And he, of course, he still has uh, great memories of St. Louis. I mean, he, he, he won a World Series here. He, he won a National League pennant here in 04, right? He, um, he accomplished so much in St. Louis, and the fans uh, recognized him and so warmly. They treated him so with such great admiration and respect. Um, he obviously, we all know that it, it didn't start off that way for him, but I think that's one of the reasons that it's so special because he, it was so important to him. He knew even though they sent him to AAA Memphis to start his career in 2002, which was not the, the plan, obviously, when they signed him. And then they sent him to the Arizona Fall League as a 32-year-old guy in basically a developmental league playing with you know, 18, 20, 22-year-olds. Um, that's the way it started off for him, but he was determined and he knew that if he could figure out the, the swing and the right approach at the plate that he could get the job done and he he stuck it out and the way the fans received him after that the fans appreciated his determination and his perseverance and just the warmth that they showed him uh, after that I, I I don't think it's something he'll forget for a lifetime I mean he still owns a home in St. Louis so <laughs> how's that <laughs> how's that for feeling connected to St. Louis. <laughs> uh, so obviously has probably the most name recognition of because he's the guy that played for the Cardinals, but Ichiro has quite the connection to St. Louis in a couple different ways too, including a, a record that he owns that he broke that used to belong to George Sisler. 
Some people might not be familiar, but he was a star for the St. Louis Browns many years ago. What did it mean to Ichiro to break uh, Sisler's record after it had stood for so long? Most uh, hits ever in an American League season, I believe, is the record. Most hits in, in a major league season, yeah. Um, to, it was the, George Sisler had 257 hits, which was a record that stood for, for more than 80 years. And in 2004, Ichiro broke that record uh, and finished the season with 262 hits. So Ichiro now owns the record for most hits in a single season, uh, 262, and George Sisler is number two with 257. And at the time, this is 2004, um, George Sisler's uh, daughter, Frances Drockelman, was, was still living and living in St. Louis, and so uh, and uh, her sons, uh, uh, Pete and Bo, also live in St. Louis. And the f Pete and Bo and their mother, Frances, flew out to Seattle, and there were other family members there as well, but they flew out to Seattle, and they were on hand at Safeco Field when Ichiro broke uh, George Sisler's record. And, of course, the, it's a famous photo of Ichiro then going over to the stands to uh, recognize uh, the Sisler family and thank them for uh, being in attendance. They were sitting right in the front row off uh, right, right at first base and he went over there and, and recognized them and thanked them and uh, um, it was a, a really special moment and uh, I mean I, I think of all the records that Ichiro has and he has a lot of records I, I would think that that is the most special to him. You know, he also went and visited Sisler's grave, I believe, in 2009 when he was here for the All-Star Game. That's really classy. Why was that important to him to do? I think that uh, it's, it's, in, it's both Japanese culture and it's uh, also in Ichiro's personality that he just felt that, that here was George Sisler resting in peace for 80 plus years and all of a sudden some guy from Japan comes along and rustles up <laughs> the world for him. All of this, you know, he stirs up all of this and now people are talking about George Sisler again and they're talking about about the record and all of the attention that Ichiro gets uh, for for challenging the record and breaking the record and he just felt that that he that he he, he caused George Sisler some, some, uh, <laughs> some trouble. He caused all this commotion to George Sisler, who was resting in peace. So he, in 2009, when the All-Star Game was in St. Louis and Ichiro was a participant, uh, he took time out of the All-Star schedule to drive out to West County and uh, visit George Sisler's grave and place uh, a bouquet of flowers uh, at George Sisler's uh, resting spot. And it was a very, I think, a very uh, peaceful moment for Ichiro. Uh, and it just, it just strengthened this connection that he feels to George Sisler. He also broke another record in St. Louis, and uh, the fans appreciated that. Tell us that story, if you could. <laughs> so um, in 2016, Ichiro uh, became the 30th player to hit, accomplish 3,000 hits. He didn't do that in St. Louis, but the second half of the season 
for the Marlins began in St. Louis, and Ichiro was 10 hits from 3,000. And when he stepped up to the plate in his first at-bat on the Friday night, the fans gave him a standing ovation because they recognized that he was 10 hits from 3,000. And it was just, it was unprompted. There was no message on the scoreboard to say Ichiro is at, is at 2,990 hits. Um, and so he got a hit in that at-bat, and that hit was a hit that tied Ty Cobb, uh, tied Ty Cobb's 41-91. It was for Ichiro. It was, a, it was a combination of his hits in Japan and the U.S., but it tied him uh, with Ty Cobb. And then on Sunday in St. Louis, he got another hit, and that hit surpassed Ty Cobb as a combination of hits in Japan and and America, 41-92. And the fans, unprompted gave him a standing ovation when he got to first base. There was no message on the scoreboard that Ichiro had just accomplished this. There was uh, no indication. The fans just knew and they gave him a standing ovation. He was not expecting that whatsoever. In fact, it was a very uncomfortable and awkward moment for Ichiro as he approached Ty Cobb's record because he didn't know how will American fans feel about this? Is this something that I should be proud of and I should celebrate? Because it's a combination, you know? So some people don't recognize the combined uh, hit total. And it was like, it was just a very awkward moment because it would get media attention, but he wasn't sure if he deserved the attention because it was a combination. And when the fans in St. Louis, unprompted, with no message on the scoreboard, they just, they knew that what he had done and they gave him a standing ovation and he stepped off of first base and he tipped his cap to the St. Louis fans as a thank you and he just felt like that he has the answer that he knows that now that American fans whether they choose to legitimize it or not they at least recognize the accomplishment and it just made him feel so good that after the game, when he was asked about it, he said, you know, obviously you would like to, as much as you can, accomplish these records and the 3,000th hit in front of the hometown fans. But today, this weekend, I learned that if you can't accomplish it at home, the best place to do it is in St. Louis. <laughs> so he has this, this connection to St. Louis really has been building since, you know, since, uh, since 2004 when he broke at St. Louis Browns' George Sisler's single-season hits record. Again, a huge thanks to Brad for his time. He made that special trip down to the Hyatt here in downtown St. Louis to have that conversation with us. Also, I think he wanted to meet Miles Michaelis. That has worked out really well for the Cardinals, bringing him over from Japan. And uh, Brad had, had been in Miami covering the Marlins when Ichiro was there, so he knew the Big Bear Marcelo Zuna, too, and, and enjoyed getting to see him as well, I am sure. want to remind you that if you want to get in touch with the show, and I always enjoy hearing from you, you can shoot me an email, podcast with an S at cardinals.com. You also can listen, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Just search Cardinals Insider. Or if you just want to go from your browser, there is a, an RSS feed. You can subscribe by visiting cardinals.com slash podcast. That will take you to a, a couple different places. There's some club-produced podcasts, and you'll just click the banner that says Cardinals Insider. Easy to see. Once you get to the page, you'll know exactly what you're looking at, but you can get in there, and you can listen to past episodes. We've had Dan McLaughlin on. 
Ben uh, Hockman from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch came on to talk about his new book. We had one of the first men ever to catch Bob Gibson. That was J.W. Porter. He caught him in 1959, Gibby's inaugural season, his rookie year. We've also had uh, a gentleman, a fan by the name of Jim Sheely. He went on streetcars to Cardinal games as early as 1936. He is still a season ticket holder. That was a fun conversation. Plus, we've had all kinds of Cardinal players, alumni, Andy Van Slyke. I'm going to have Larry Walker for you in a couple of weeks. There's just good stuff all over, so we really encourage you, if you haven't yet, subscribing is the best way to make sure you don't miss anything and you can go back and listen because most of these episodes are evergreen. That means that they're really not tied into any one thing. The conversation will probably be just as good in December of this year or next year as it is right now here and today. We do things that are tied into this current team, but most of our stuff really is uh, is not time-sensitive. It's just good, fun, cardinal conversations that will play anytime and we hope that you enjoy them and I know that a lot of you do listen to them that way as well big thanks to Brad Lefton and Ozzy Smith the one and only Wizard of Oz appreciate both of them being on the program today and as always great to talk with you we'll talk to you next Tuesday again every Tuesday those episodes out in time for the drive home until next time my name is Brett McMillan thanks for listening to the Cardinals Insider Podcast Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.